0: hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the mark groves podcast i am so excited to bring to you today my good friend bea voce is that good was that good
1: <laughs> that was good i sound like a straight up italian like
0: right did awesome. i sound straight up Italian?
1: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> bea voce bea Is, uh, would you be considered, do we share the same title, Human Connection Specialist?
1: Well, I didn't even know that was a title until I met you. And I was like, I'm changing my title. That's what I am now, too. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Okay, I love that. That's perfect.
1: I used to just say I study human connection. Like, that's what I, you know, that's what I do. I study human connection. But
0: All you have to do is add specialist on the end of there and bam.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, we do have a lot of similar, you know, when I was reading your bio, you, you know, obviously study psychology, emotional intelligence, body language, also NLP, neurolinguistic programming, your practitioner. And that's, those are all like very similar backgrounds that I have. So I'm I'm so excited to have you on today.
1: I know this is going to be awesome. I, I just feel like our, our synergy is I'm just into it.
0: I'm into it. Me too. And well, tell me. So when I was reading, which shockingly, I knew that you had done a TEDx talk, but I didn't know that your TEDx talk had gone to 2.4 million people. That's insane. So tell us a little bit about the talk and and what it covered and and that kind of jazz.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, when I when I found out I was going to be giving a talk, I and it was going to be on Human Connection, I basically just went inside and i was like all right bael let's like let's go to the simplest way that you feel connected in your own life and my answer when i really sat with that was it's not the big things i'm doing it's not the big trips i'm taking it's not anything like that it's like the small things that i have ritualized in my life that i haven't even realized i've ritualized so for instance monday nights with my girlfriends every monday night I have a girls' night, and it's one of the most powerful rituals that I've created in my life. And I didn't even know it was a ritual; it was just something I did. It was like, I just <laughs> that's awesome every Monday night. I see um, it on
0: your Instagram stories. You guys got to follow her on Instagram. It's pretty funny. Your Instagram stories.
1: <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I'm start. I'm starting to get. I'm starting to get like much less proper and way more like you know what straight talk, no chaser. I'm done with the whole like, like no more Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. I, that out the window. I'm just like real talk. No chaser. Let's like get to the point. So anyway, yeah, you don't
0: you don't need a tequila shot to get to who you are. It's good, <laughs> yeah. that's a good access yeah. point.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So Monday nights with the ladies, and then what else?
1: So I basically just looked at, okay, so what are the small things I'm doing on, say, a daily or a weekly basis that actually make me feel connected? And it was like a 10-minute meditation every day, my girl's night once a week, um, a ritual I had with my not no longer partner, but I mentioned him in the talk, where we say, the thing I love about you most today is, and then each of us would say what that was, even if we were in a fight. And so what I noticed Mm. that these small practices would do is make me feel more connected, make me feel less lonely. And so when I started my research into loneliness, I started realizing one of the things that's really missing with people is that we're not creating these rituals or we're doing these things and, and not really putting intention behind them. So we're feeling, we're left feeling disconnected and alone. So that was the premise of the the talk, which is called the simple cure for loneliness, which to be honest, I don't believe there is a simple cure, but I think it's easy. It's simpler than it's one of those things that I just think, you know, it's so simple. We don't even think about it.
0: Yeah, that it feels it's almost like this is going to sound so weird, but that the simplicity is complex in that Absolutely. it's hard for our minds to understand. Because, of course, like if you're in the deep dumps, especially from a depressive state or or whatever it is, right, it's so hard to see out of when someone says, well, just go for a run and you're like, just go fuck yourself. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it's not, it doesn't seem simple.
1: No, and it's not. And th- th- like going for a run, run when you're fucking depressed and you're like, that, that's the last thing you want to do. And yet, if you do it day, uh. In and day out, it's a big deal. It's, it's the idea of the slight edge, that it's the small things that we do on a day-to-day basis that in the end have the biggest impact on our overall success and happiness and well-being. Again, it's not the big trips. It's not the big gifts that you get your partner. It's not Those are not the things that are going to lead to more fulfillment, more happiness, more satisfaction, whether we're single, whether we're in a relationship, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with you. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to think that we often think that the celebrations, the anniversaries, the birthdays, the Christmas, whatever, Hanukkah, all those things. Letting. Yeah, that those are all, um, they need to be perfect or they need to be so romanticized and they need to be thoughtful. That's, you know, they don't need to be, but it's nice if they are on some level. But it's, it's actually the way that we communicate day in and day out and the language that we use moment by moment. And that's why I love how you said it's, it's so the simple things that create big things that create big change that create big connection.
1: Absolutely. But they're not the sexy things. So we overlook them, right? Because listen, if, if you want to get my ass at Tesla, cause we're in a fight, like I'll take it. Yes, please. That sounds awesome. But that's not going to, that's not like if, if, like, if our relationship is struggling, that's not going to be the thing that keeps us together. I'll tell you that much, right? No,
0: you'll be driving away with your bags in a Tesla. That'll yeah, be the difference. Right?
1: Exactly. And my middle finger up or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, maybe that's the part about, you were talking about loneliness and, and because I think in the context of a relationship that. Obviously, people buy buy new stuff and have a baby or get married or engaged. They keep these highs so that they don't have to meet their lows for a long time and have to deal with the actual baseline of their connection. Um, but that's a whole other part because I want to stay on this loneliness piece. So, in your because it went to 2.4 million people, you know, you're talking to them about these small, simple things—the rituals, the girls' night. The is there any other nuggets that that you didn't get to?
1: Yeah, but I feel like you should go watch the talk in order, to, <laughs> in order to find out the nuggets. I can't give it all away. We
0: will definitely link <laughs> uh, the talk in the show notes.
1: Come on, I can't <laughs> give you all the juice. <laughs>
0: so the main message was: it's the simple things.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and it's not the it's not. I think we are so overwhelmed by by all this new knowledge we can read any book we could follow any person we could like we could be we are inundated with new ways to go about bettering your life and like having better sex and blah, 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 all the things that to me, one of the biggest takeaways is that it's really not about the, like what you can do newly. It's about going into your life and looking about the practices that you've already, you already have in place that you don't even realize you have in place and putting more intention into those practices. Like, like the girls night thing, right? Like I didn't, that was not, I didn't look at that as a tool that that really feel, filled me. I mean, I didn't realize how much it filled me up. It was just a thing I did. Once I started revisiting that and looking at, actually, when I when I go to girls' nights and my intention behind those girls' nights is to connect with my friends and to take a deep dive into our lives, then the rest of my week, I feel way more full. When I go into those girls' nights and like you know I'm feeling like shit and we're talking shit whatever whatever it is and my intention isn't to feel more connected then then those girls' nights don't do much for me so I really think it's a combination of doing the things doing the things regularly but then also having some intention behind those things
0: yeah I love that like shifting why we're doing what we're doing being very mindful of why we're choosing what we're choosing which also m- makes us responsible. <laughs> for where we're directing our attention. You know, and totally. appreciation. The and you were talking before about the little things and I'm wondering because I remember reading some research in positive psychology that the answer to the question do you have someone to call at 2 a.m. if you don't is one of the most predictive questions I believe of um of depression I w- and like state of being. And I was wondering, you know, it's interesting because like when I had to answer that question I was thinking shit, I think I have like probably 30 people I could call at 2 a.m., which feels like that's a really beautiful feeling to know that I have such a crew, whether they answer or not, or their phones on airplane mode is a whole other subject. But (laughs) for the people who aren't, you know, like who don't have, I know men, that's a very common thing now with men experiencing, don't even have someone they can call a best friend, a large percentage of men, you know, And, and what is the tips or the ideas of, getting, how do people create that connection? Cause that could be really challenging and scary and it kind of goes against, and it, it challenges our story that no one loves us. We have to go then find or create love, which, which changes everything too.
1: Absolutely. And I think, I mean, listen, I've been a men's dating coach for a long time and, and, and I know this is, this is a big, it, it, it's, it's a huge deal for men and, and women too, but I think you're right. I often think that, just to sidetrack for a second, and then I'll answer the question, but I often think that breakups are harder for men to go through because. What happens if you're in, you know, a heteronormative relationship, at least what happens generally speaking is what men do is they all of a sudden, like they have this woman in their life who now they can take a deep dive into their vulnerabilities with when they've never felt like they could do that with other men. And then you go through a breakup and all of a sudden your lifeline for vulnerability has now been cut off where the Mm -hmm. woman can now go and cry to her friends and, you know, do whatever healing she you know, needs to do to lean on her friends, um, and there's really not an expiration date for how long. Like you know, you can cry as much as you want. That's kind of this. You know, it's 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 just a more feminine quality. Whereas men can maybe bitch and complain for, you know, one or two times. But oftentimes, if you haven't created these deep, connected, vulnerable relationships, oftentimes a lot of men are like, all right, dude, like, I don't want to hear it anymore. Or, or you just don't feel confident enough to keep talking about it. And so you've just now lost this lifeline for vulnerability. And, and I think that makes breakups way more lonely and a lot harder to go through for men a lot of times.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. There's research to support exactly what you're saying after men divorce, that after men and women divorce, that um, women turn to their partner like 30 something percent of the time when they're going through something and men turn to their partner 70 percent of the time. So when we lose that, you're dead on. And, you know, I think I was sort of lucky in that the friendships that I had um, growing up with men, some of them were more surface-based, but we did cultivate some pretty good vulnerability and connection. Um, But I definitely experienced the like, you know, couple friends who didn't want to talk about stuff. And you'd be like, yeah, man, it's been really hard. And they're like, pat you on the back, like, cool, man. And, you know, they (laughs) didn't want to get into that. But for, you know, for the people that... um, don't have someone like, what do you recommend in terms of, of being able to cultivate or create friendships when, you know, perhaps they never really have.
1: Yeah. And I think this is, to be honest, I think this is a really tricky subject to tackle Mm -hmm. and I don't, and I don't know that I have the perfect answer, but what, but well, let's what
0: shoot I, at some possible solutions.
1: Well, what I feel like is when when you're lonely, without literally a person to call, looking really taking a look in the mirror and starting with why, right? Because because I could tell you to to okay, well, like go out to meetup groups and do things that, you know, you like doing and, you know, find a climbing partner, whatever it is. And, and that's all fine and well, but there's probably, especially at our age, you know, I mean, there's probably an underlying reason why deep connections haven't been able to be, to be formed. And if we're not getting to really the, the deeper reason about why we don't have anybody, what is it we're doing what patterns have we created and then recreated and recreated so that now we have this spinning spinning story going on that that has been reiterated over and over again in our lives that maybe started in boy scouts when like you didn't have anybody and you know you didn't have a a buddy one day and now that has spun into your adult life and whatever so i think really going into the deeper reason about what Why for you specifically, has this been challenging? Because I think if we stay topical, like, well, because I'm an introvert or, you know, like, I don't know, I just like doing things that not, not a lot of people like, I really think we're missing the juice. I think we're missing the real stuff that's keeping us from developing deep relationships. And I, so I think starting there really going internally. And if that's, if that means joining a men's group, if that means going to therapy, whatever it is that you need to do to go on your quest is going to be for me, at least, I think one of the, one of the biggest things about at least starting off, because from there, then you can say, okay, cool. Like now go join, go, go like, you know, I don't know, host a dinner and invite (laughs) a few people that you don't know, right? Like do whatever. But I don't think we're really getting to the meat of it if we're not looking at why we've created these patterns in the first place.
0: Well, yeah, and being able to start to, you know, it takes so much to actually take responsibility for what we believe, what we think, what we, you know, when we start to see our mind, not as we are part of it, but we actually own this damn computer and we should actually start taking over what programs it has, what it starts to think. It's really funny to me that, you know, formally for me, too, and and still a struggle, a consistent piece of work is that I actually let my mind control me when I was young, you know, (laughs) as opposed to say, like, when you say things like, I'm an introvert, you now no longer cannot be one, you know, like, when we hold these beliefs, Um, or just these like, well, I like doing things that not a lot of people like doing like those examples that you gave. They're just barriers to allowing ourselves to connect. They're just beliefs that we've formed to say, well, that will support the story that I have. But then I'm not open to changing the story because I identify as an introvert or, you know, I was thinking about it yesterday. I hear it all the time, like dating so hard in New York. Oh, I was like, oh, is it 9 million people? No one wants a relationship. Like, come on. Like it's just a belief that gets in the way so that you don't need 500,000 people to want a relationship in New York. You just need one.
1: Absolutely. I just, oh my, it's so funny that you're saying this because just a couple of weeks ago, I posted this on my Facebook. I posted like a prompt that was like, what's your biggest complaint about dating to to both men and women? And basically they mirrored each other in their answers and all answers were about some factor that did not have to do with them. It was some outside factor. Um, and I'm now like, I've now like written so much about this because it's fascinating to me that the last person we're looking at is ourselves. And I just did an Instagram post about this last night, actually, because I was just like, I've been like reeling over this is like, if your ass is single and you don't want to be single, I promise you there is one person and it is not the other person who needs to look in the mirror like
0: totally you know
1: there there are no such thing as mixed mixed messages there are only messages that you misinterpret and when we're not taking responsibility and accountability for building a skill set around how to date and how to build attraction like we're just going to end up in the same position that we've been in which is which is single and if that's not where we want to be then there's a problem there's a breakdown
0: yes and i think like to close the loop on the loneliness piece I think what's fascinating is just to bring it back to those beliefs. It, you know, maybe we were isolated as a child. Maybe we have a story that is quite impactful and traumatizing, and and whatever. And in and, and it, you know, I, I like to often think like one of the most challenging parts is that you know when when we have a story that happened to us that we didn't get to choose, which is a lot of people, then taking responsibility for what we do with it is the most important transition. But often when we have to take responsibility for what we do with what happened, we then feel like, you know, we're taking responsibility for what happened.
1: And that's a big change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this whole idea that, you know, you're, who runs your thoughts? Like, do you, do you run your thoughts or do your thoughts run you? And, and a lot of times we're not even cognizant of how much our, di- our, because our, di- our internal dialogue, it just feels so natural that we actually think it is us. And then, like you said, we get to play this story and, and listen, this doesn't even need to be people with traumatic childhoods or whatnot. No, no, no. And, and so, you know, if you're listening and feeling like, well, I don't know, like my life was pretty okay growing up and still I can't get a check or whatever it is. It's like, well, it doesn't need to be crazy. It could have been like, you know, your mom didn't come in to, to tuck you in when you wanted, whatever. It could be anything that then got you on this loop that you keep playing. And, and I think that's really common. And, and the reality is we would, so much of us would rather live in an unfamiliar hell than a familiar, than a familiar, wait, no. An unfamiliar heaven than a familiar hell, right? Totally. No, other way around. You know what I'm Yeah, saying. yeah, yeah, unfamiliar yeah. familiar hell, familiar, I'm now just- You're saying like we'd life.
0: rather live in a familiar hell than an unfamiliar heaven you did that right and one of those you got it um
1: one of them was right but it's true it's true and and then we attract that thing that's familiar to us and again so that we can play out this story
0: yeah i mean i think if you're living with that belief and i think in the loneliness state i have so much compassion for the people you know in those states in those depressive states i've been in depressive states um but i never subscribed as being depressed because i feel their states you change them you know and When you get to that place of like, no one loves me or no one wants to be with me or whatever, then we choose situations that keep reinforcing that. And I think that's the important part is what you're saying is the unfamiliar heaven is actually starting a conversation, actually taking a different way to work, actually going to a coffee shop when you would normally go home and watch Netflix and write that story in your head, you know, again, And, and actually constructing a different story, which is not up to other people. You know, no one's gonna come in and save us and, and just magically appear. Hopefully not on our couch. That would be weird.
1: Yeah, that would be weird. And and just to go off of that, here's the thing about pain. Like I, I talk about pain and grieving and healing a lot and and how many lessons there are in it and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is you can waste your pain. You can feel like absolute shit. You can feel bad for yourself. You can feel bad for your childhood or whatever. And your pain, your anger, your resentment, that can be wasted and you can feel it and it can hurt and you can learn nothing from it. Mm-hmm. You And in fact, you can be more resentful because of it. You can be more shut down because of it. At some point, though, it becomes a choice to take that story that has happened, the thing that you didn't get a choice about when you were a kid, like like you said, you can take that and choose something different. You can choose to learn from that. You can choose to switch behaviors. but if but a lot of times, if we're not really um conscious of of what these patterns are and what these behaviors are and what we do that pushes people away or whatever, we loop the pain and then the pain doesn't help us grow. We don't learn from it. We don't we're mm-hmm. it's it's wasted.
0: yeah, I heard the I love that. I heard the other day someone say, um that, wherever there is emotional triggers in your past, there is mastery waiting to be learned.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: Isn't that great? It was um, Jordan Peterson from oh. the university of Toronto. Who's uh, i mean, that guy's a badass in a lot of ways, but he, when he said that, I was like, what a beautiful, like what you're saying, there's so much wisdom in your hurt. If you look for it, if you don't, it will turn, it'll control your life. You know, you'll live in it, you know, build resentment and, and disconnection. And then you won't have anyone to call at 2 a.m., you know, and, that, and that's, and that's that. But absolutely. Sorry. Do you want to, did you want to say,
1: well, that? you know, I was just going to say, you know, I was talking to Jason Gaddis the other day, who, who's, oh, I love that guy. On. He's a great guy. I know he's great. He's great. And you've been on his podcast, obviously. And yeah, that, and he's the just smart fantastic. couple,
0: the smart couple, yeah. podcast. I'll, I'll yeah. share it in the notes. Cause he's, he's, yeah,
1: like, he's so great. Anyway, I was talking to him the other day and, um, we were talking about betrayal And, and what betrayal is, and I think a lot of us can, can relate to feeling betrayed in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, well, like, or is it betrayal? Like, that was kind of his, like, but is it really betrayal? Because if you look at anything, anything that happens to you, no matter what it is, you can, it might be challenging, but you can reframe it as a, okay, like where, what am I going to get out of this? And then all of a sudden betrayal and pain become, where is their mastery? Like you just said, like, where is mm. their mastery out of this? And, and things like betrayal or manipulation or whatever it is that we might feel have been quote unquote done to us us are like, cool, what can I do with this? And where is there? I mean, your pain is only there to teach you where you have unhealed places. So yeah. where is yeah. their mastery in these places?
0: Yeah. I like that. He said that perspective of like, once you shift and I know for me, what became a huge empowering part that took me a long time to learn was, you know, obviously shifting from why did this happen to me to how did this happen for me? And that shift when I got out of a relationship, you know, not like five years ago, I literally left the girl's house after the breakup and I was walking along the ocean and I was in pain and I was thinking to myself, there's learning here. What is it? And I was already in that state because I knew that I had to, when I had a relationship and when I was younger, I had to learn that relationships ending are not failures And I, I, because I felt like a failure, but I was like, but there's relationships ending all around, not having a relationship last is not a failure. It's, it's a learning, it's an opportunity, it's an ending, it's an opportunity for a new beginning. And I had to build that belief system because if I didn't, I would have felt like a piece of shit all the time.
1: Absolutely. And I think, I really believe that, that grief is one of our wisest teachers and when we enter into deep grieving, whatever you know prompted that, when we enter into deep grieving, it's almost like this initiation that mm-hmm. you don't get. You don't get outside of that kind of pain. You just don't. It. it you don't have.
0: You can't access deny to it. You can't. Yeah.
1: And and so to me, when I reframe pain, I just went through a huge breakup. My fiance broke off our engagement. It it felt totally out of the blue, and and so I I really had to like reorient myself to okay, this is now I'm I'm going in a different direction that I thought I was going to go. My life looks totally different than I thought it was going to look, and Mm -hmm. it was one of the deepest deepest grievances that I had ever gone through. And you know, I'm I'm almost a year out of it at this point, and when I look at when I look at this pain as like, okay, yeah, this year was really challenging. And in a lot of ways was the hardest year I've gone through. And like on the flip side of that, wow, how cool is it to look at what a better partner I now know I have the capacity, Mm. I have the capability to be right. And you just don't get that kind of learning without grief, without like deep pain. So for me, when I, there was, uh, there is, um, Glennon Doyle Melton, she wrote Love Warrior.
0: Oh, and, yeah, she's a firecracker. Shit. Oh, she's, That yeah, book she, is good.
1: Oh, so good. And she is just, she did, she did a talk and uh, on, on Oprah's Super Soul Sessions. And, you know, she talked about grief and she was like, grief is a teacher or grief is a traveling professor that knocks on all of our doors. And the <laughs> wisest, the wisest of us open our doors and say, come in. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to really put into perspective what grief is and how beautiful grief can be. And when we're in it, I'll tell you the last fucking thing we think is what beautiful, you know, what (laughs) gift (laughs) grief is, like how beautiful it is. It's like
0: a cosmic dump truck on her head.
1: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. But if you can, you know, if you can detach even just a little bit from the feeling of it and just say, okay, like the feeling is going to be temporary. This feeling will go away. What is there for me here? So.
0: Yeah. I mean, grief is such I I, I was telling you before we started recording that I didn't even recognize the level of grief I had even sadness and compassion for um, former versions of myself that I hadn't sort of um, forgiven for decisions, for failures. Even I ended an engagement um, when I was 27 and you know, I felt really bad about doing that. I felt guilty. I felt shame. I felt, you know, all those things. Um, and it's interesting now that I can look back and know that it was the greatest gift I could have ever given her because I was not ready to love her at the level she needed to be loved. Well, sorry. She was worthy of being loved. She didn't need it. She was worthy of it. And it was really interesting because she, is a wonderful human being and she was everything on the checklist and I still couldn't choose her. And so I didn't know what the greater calling was and I couldn't make sense of it because it didn't make sense. But now in hindsight, you know, I see so much that I just was not ready for someone like her. I wasn't, I didn't know who I was. I needed to learn a bunch of shit and go through a lot more breakups and drink more Jack Daniels to figure out, you know, (laughs) on some, make a lot of bad decisions and good ones but to learn about love and connection and communication to see what I didn't know, you know, like I'm, I would imagine. And I mean, we sort of have had a similar uh, educational background Um, when I started with NLP, you know, in that sense, after I was doing sales training. And it's just so crazy to think about how much relationships teach us. And we might not know the reason for their ending, but man, it makes sense one day.
1: Yeah, and it's about going into the unknown, which is uh. which is uh, I think as human beings probably one of the most uncomfortable places to be, especially when we want so much control in our lives and and all of that when we enter into the unknown and we don't have the answer. I mean, who, it is hard to look at that and say like I'm so grateful that my ass just got dumped like totally thank you <laughs> totally, right?
0: especially when that's the advice like our friend gives us like there's another there's another person out there for you this is just rejections redirection you
1: know, yeah like, is there a gun
0: anywhere around here
1: yeah uh, totally or like or like it's okay they don't deserve you you're like go fuck yourself deserve right? me like yeah. I, yeah. yeah
0: which is great because then our friends become our like our, our warriors in some sense
1: yeah <laughs> Yeah, But yeah, yeah it's,
0: it is fascinating that shift to be able to recognize the grief and loss, of course, but then also to recognize the that the, there was so much knowledge waiting for me when I decided to, I don't know another word for it, but like wake up to it, to just be yeah. conscious, to decide to pay attention. And I remember listening to Alan Watts where he said, we, we all wait for a point where there's so much pain that we have to wake up. He's like, but you don't have to wait for it. You could wake up right now. You can just choose that in this moment, I want to I pay attention. I want to be aware. And we sort of gain, I don't know, when we let go of control, we gain the actual control we want, which is surrender,
1: trust. Absolutely. And I think this is part of what we were talking about earlier, that it's one of those things that's so simple that it's complicated. Yeah. You know, we're like, wait a second, what? Like, I just have to be conscious and be aware of it. Well, that, like, that doesn't make sense.
0: And they're like, oh, should I, do I need to do mushrooms or like ayahuasca? And it's like, yeah, you don't, like colors are just as vibrant, you know, life is just as vibrant. Um, you don't need to, it could be your gateway, but, but you don't need to. And, and you said something earlier that I really loved. I took a note on it because I wanted to touch back on it because I think it's so important from the dating process. Um, as you said, there is no such thing as mixed messages and I fully agree with you, but explain what that means to someone who's saying like, but he says he want doesn't want a relationship, but he treats me like a girlfriend, you know, that standard.
1: Oh yeah. Cause
0: I love to read that subject. That's.
1: Oh yeah. I, and I could, I mean, I could talk about this forever. This to me is. I mean, to me, this is kind of the epitome of just taking the victim mentality and, and not stepping into your own power and keeping yourself small. And the the reality is as human beings in the world, both men and women, when we want something, we are clear about it. We don't like, if he doesn't call you back, it's not because no guy wants to commit. It's because he doesn't want to commit to you. If she says to you that she wants certain characteristics and you believe you identify with those characteristics and then she leaves, that's not because she's confused. That's because maybe you actually don't identify as much with those characteristics as you might think. So to really take a step back and look in the mirror and be like, okay, if dating is not working out for me, if I keep attracting the guys who don't commit, if I keep attracting the women who quote-unquote want to fall for jerks, but like, no, you know, no, Mm -hmm. the nice guys always finish last, bullshit, bullshit. Like, if you keep subscribing to that belief system, I promise you, I promise you, you will stay single or or get into a relationship that's unsatisfying because you're not getting the things that you want because oh, you're unwilling to.
0: Yeah, win. to settle for fifty percent because you couldn't find a hundred.
1: Yes, oh, yes, that's
0: not a win.
1: That's a no. that's
0: a lose.
1: Oh it, yes, and I think I think um, we use. First of all, we use these excuses, these reasons um, that are outside factors, right? Like, like, like you were saying, oh, it's hard to date in New York, bitch, I have never heard anybody in any city say that it's not hard to date in the city. Everybody right. has a reason. Every Utah- city's hard to every, date
0: and it doesn't every- matter where you move, you will move to hard dating.
1: Totally. And, and, and if that's your perspective, I promise you'll find it. I promise Uh, you will find
0: it. Yes. Like all women want is money. I heard a friend of mine say that. And I was like, you just got to find one who doesn't. And your belief is bullshit. Just like you got to find one per two people in a relationship in New York. And you now your beliefs, bullshit.
1: Totally. But when we keep subscribing to this belief, that's of course what keeps showing up against going back on what we were saying before, because then it just reiterates the story that yeah. you've got going. and again, lets
0: you'd
1: you be right. And, and what we generally do, and this makes it a little tricky. Um, you know, the, the whole Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the top five people you spend the most time with. Well, what we tend to do is gravitate towards people who dress like us, who have the same opinions as us, who probably make around the same, Amount of money as us, and when we believe that the you know the city that we're dating in is shit, or or like this swipe right culture is you know can't you can't ever find anybody because everyone just Uh, wants to go next up whatever it is. Yeah. But what happens is then we have what you're saying, this confirmation bias. We have all the people in our lives being like, yeah, bro, like you know, women all want money and like yeah chick or whatever like no no man no man wants to commit and so we we have people in our circle who are confirming that same belief system so it's easy for us to be like oh you know what told you i was right i'm right and so you don't have to change your behavior you don't have to change your habits your pattern you don't have to learn a new way to date because all your friends are only going on first dates and not getting second dates and then you guys all circle jerk together saying how bad the dating sequence
0: (laughs) i love the circle jerk reference (laughs) It is. That's exactly it It is. I love that you use that Jim Rome quote, because it's so true that we have the people, they will reflect our values. And that's why when we shift our value system, when we're growing and transforming, we often lose friends or they say like, well, like if we go on, like, I'm not going to eat sugar. They're like, you're not going to eat sugar. What is the problem? And then they're like, have this donut, just try it, just smell it, just taste it, just have a bit. Because there's some fear of us moving past Or like moving beyond them or challenging their own transformation. But in the dating world, I love that you said there was no such thing as mixed messages. There's always truth when you want to see it. If you will take the facts, it's funny how we can give objective advice to a friend like he's not that into you. And then when it's us with the exact same factors, we're like, you know what? No, he's, he's had stress with his mom. And so he hasn't been able to be around his phone as much. And I always think like, if you're making excuses for someone who doesn't make them for themselves, then you know, you're in some trouble.
1: Absolutely. And, and listen, easier said than done when you're in it. Like I get, you know, from my perspective right now, it's, it's easy to like talk shit and say like, this is what you do, duh. But you know, I've been in the position. (laughs) I remember, I I remember once I was, I was getting out of a relationship and this guy who was like, you know young, super successful, just kind of checked off all the boxes, who, who I felt like was kind of out of my league, started giving me attention. And we didn't live in the same city, but every once in a while we would shoot each other texts. And every time I text him, he would be super excited. But anytime I tried to make plans with him to like meet in whatever city that we said we were going to do, it would be like, you know, he would, the conversation would go in a different direction or whatever, and nothing would end up happening. But then he would... Uh, few weeks later, he would text me to check in. So I was like, well, of course he's into me. Why would he, why would he keep texting if he's not? Or, you know, I would text him and it's not like he would ghost me. He would be like, "Baya, it's so good to hear from you, blah, blah, blah. But again, every time we tried to make concrete plans, like for some reason or another, it just wouldn't work. And it wasn't until I got really honest with myself that like, Girlfriend, he is just not that into you. So either keep doing this Mm -hmm. and string yourself along, but know that what you're going to get is crumbs or hold yourself to a higher standard and let it go. But I'll tell you, when I was in it and I was seeing the texts and I was hearing what he was saying, I was like, well, he's excited. Like, clearly he's into me. But when actions and words are not congruent with each other, like, honey, those are not mixed messages. Those are clear messages that I was misinterpreting. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. If they're mixed, they're real. They're truth. Like I hear a lot of people say things like, Well, he was a narcissist. People are throwing around that word like a like huge. Don't get I mean, me wrong, yeah. there are narcissists and sociopaths, and we're not gonna but they're like truthfully defined as that, I think, you know, everyone has narcissistic tendencies or like, you know, qualities in them. We're humans. But I was you know, I remember talking to this one woman who was saying well, you know, he's a narcissist, we dated for six months. And I'm like, so nowhere before that there were red flags. And she was like, well, there was a couple. And I was like, yeah, of course. And when you ignore them, that's what happens is you continue to create a story that gets more painful and more deep. And that's why we are so hyper responsible for what we choose to allow into our lives, the type of people we choose to allow, because what we choose we become. And, you know, it's like a, It's a painful truth that if you allow someone into your life, who's going to treat you poorly, it means that on some level you believe you're worthy of that. And if you don't believe it, you'll start to believe it because you allow it.
1: Absolutely. And I actually have something in dating. I call it the rule of three that I think is, is, is really important because when you, so the rule of three is basically like, you know, at any given time when you're, when you're looking to find a partner, you should be dating more than one person Three is a good number; just it has a good ring to it. Um, whatever, you should be dating more than one person at the same time because what happens is when we date one person, and and this may be more true for women. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but but when we date one person, nah, I'm gonna take that back. This is not more true for women. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, when, we, when we when we laser focus in on one person all of a sudden we start fitting them into this box that we want to fit them into especially if we're into them especially if we're they're attractive especially if they mark off you know some of the boxes that we want marked off. So we get laser focused and all of a sudden you know maybe maybe they're not they're actually not that funny but like oh, i don't even care if they were that funny to begin with or maybe they start putting you down and you don't even realize it because of the red flags all of a sudden turn into yellow flags and then white flags and then there are no flags they've disappeared what happens when we when we start dating more than one person is it gives us perspective right so we could be like well bobby over here is like really great in all these areas ooh but joey over here is really great and 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 we can start to see what really works for us and what doesn't work for us instead of clinging on to this idea that this one person that we're dating is going to fit into the box that we want to make them fit into, because that's really easy when we're lonely and when we're looking for a partner and we have somebody that that's giving us attention and they're like a partway match. It's really easy to try and fit the square peg into a round hole type of thing
0: mm, to like upgrade them without them actually mm-hmm. upgrading themselves.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Or just like really disregarding some of the things that maybe were important to you before. And because you know, so many other things, check the boxes.
0: Yeah, I have a cl- I have a client who said I suffer from last man on earth syndrome. And I was like, What's that? And she's like, It's um that every guy I date somehow I b- create the belief that they're the last man on earth. And I was <laughs> like, That's great. Cause it it really channels us to this space of scarcity where we can't they can't not be the one. But then oh, it's like I mean, even subscribing to the one is a really horribly scarce belief, you know, and it, yeah. and it's being able to to separate from that, to know that oh, there's what seven point something billion people on this planet. Like there might be one. You don't even have to be good at math to actually figure. <laughs> like I'm, I love math, but for people who aren't good at math, I that's a big calculation for me though. You still are going to come up with more than a hundred thousand potential. Like out of seven, no matter what equation you use,
1: absolutely. And the the I think the problem with dating and feeling the scarcity and stuff is we're not using logic. It's emotional. So you could be like, okay, well, logically it makes sense. There are billions of people, blah, blah, blah. Like I could date anybody. And then you get into the emotions of it and it's like, well, I'm not worthy. And like, I have all these limiting, limiting beliefs about myself. And then it just becomes this rotating cycle of scarcity and last man's syndrome, which I love. That's a great way to put it.
0: I like the rule of three too, because it naturally makes it so you are not in a scarce state. And, and I know that might be challenging for people. Like, I know I might've been able to go on dates with three different people, but it was really, it's hard for me to diversify my um, focus or my energy. So for me, that probably wouldn't work, but I also didn't really suffer from that. I had to really call myself out on that scarce belief a long time ago. But, but I think for someone who's capable of doing that, it's powerful.
1: Yeah. And listen, it's, it's not for everybody that much. I will say, but I do think if you habitually fall into meeting somebody, trying to make them fit into whatever version of them that you want them to be when really they were never that to begin with, or the, uh, the, the other thing that it does is it helps you with your game. It helps you with your skill set. Totally
0: helps you with your game.
1: I mean, I mean, because listen, if you're out drinking one night and you drunk text you know, number one out of the one of three and you make an asshole out of yourself, that's one thing. But if you have three people and you drug text, maybe like number three, like, okay, you made a mistake. You fucked up, but you didn't get, you know, like you at least have other options. So you're not like, and not only that, but you're not so hyper-focused on one person. You can, so if they don't text you for a little while, it's not like, all you're thinking about is why haven't they texted me? Cause you've gotten, you've other people you're in conversation with. So you can, you can spread out your attention so that you're not just so focused on like the minutia that probably in the end doesn't matter, but we can get really stuck on. Like it's been 24 hours. Why haven't I heard from them or whatever?
0: When I think that's such a powerful thing to express to people because when we teach like dating game, whatever that looks like, like, you know, mad Hussie's six ways to get a text back or uh, yeah. like a dating um, for men pickup artists, we're really teaching people how to appear as though they have high self-worth. And when you have many options, that's the psychological effect that taking a long time to text back creates. And so it's like uh, this reverse, like I have power because I'm a person of high status and, and that's what it creates. So if you have three people that you're entertaining, you naturally create that, which is really beautiful because when you give people space, when you teach them to relate with space, then it causes a lot of anxiety in people who are used to being pursued.
1: Absolutely. God, it's, I, I totally agree.
0: We're so sad. And, you
1: know, I know, I know. So and people hate. It's so true. And people hate on, you know, pickup artistry and stuff like that. And I actually think, you know what, if he gives you, do I believe in manipulating people to have sex with you? No. But do I, do I think that building skill sets around dating is smart? Yes. I do. You know, like,
0: because when you choose those beliefs, you actually start to create them. So if you start to have behaviors that communicate that you have high self-worth, you will start to believe that you do, which is great.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: It's, I think the deeper work that you were referencing earlier is so important, though, because once you face potential rejection or hard conversation, who do you become? Do you become the person of high self-worth or do you become the person you've been faking with your six texts to get the guy? You know, and, and that's yeah. why the deeper work is so important.
1: Yes. And I think, and and I think a combo of this, you know, I'm going out to interview, um, a pickup, a pickup artist in Vegas and I'm going out with them that he's doing a boot, a boot camp. And so they, they're, they call it like field work. Like I'm going out with yeah, them I've the heard field. Their field work. going out. Yeah. Yeah. So, which will be interesting. Right. I get to be a wing woman for the night and just kind of check out what's going on. And I think, you know, and I've told a couple people that I'm going and people are like, "Ew, that's gross. Like, I can't believe you know, people would do that. And I'm like, I actually don't think so. I think that that like, like building some skill set and some confidence around dating coupled with deep work, however, your whether it's coaching or therapy or whatever your internal journey is going to be. I think that's a powerful combo. But I do think it doesn't it it like what happens if you're just doing the pickup artistry and you sleep with a girl, what happens after? How are you actually going to create a relationship that works? You're not.
0: Yeah. Are you doing it to get sex or to get someone? Because that's, that's the, you're attached to an outcome where we should be focused yeah, on yeah. being attached to changing the process. And, and like, <laughs> if we do anything to get somebody or to change their behavior, we're, it's not very, it's not unconditional. You know, and I think if you can build the skill sets to change how you show up to life, then it's not to just have sex with someone because then, you know, you're just chasing an old affirmation. You have some other stuff going on if you're just totally people and leaving them. That's a whole other podcast. Um, So, (laughs) I mean, I have loved having you on here. Thank you so much. Um, We're definitely going to jam again because we could get all back into the dating Um, scene and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. So um, how do people find you?
1: Um, you can go to my website, beavoce.com, which is probably you need it spelled because my name is, doesn't even make sense. It's b a y a v o c e, And then I'm usually on Instagram. So bea underscore voce. So website, Instagram are kind of the two places I hang out the most. I'll
0: put it on, um, the show notes. So everyone, everything that we've sort of referenced will be in the show notes, including your TEDx talk, which I can't wait for people to watch to catch those extra nuggets you selfishly wouldn't share. (laughs) Um, thank you so much for being on here today. And um, I'm just so appreciative.
1: Yeah, totally. This was so fun. And Mark, you are such a badass. I'm so glad you're doing the work that you do. And and thank you so much for including me in the conversation.
0: You're so welcome. Hey, when we get to just jam on relationships and talk about human connection, <laughs> just a couple human connection specialists just having it. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like in my life realized it as a dream, you know? And so. Oh,
1: beautiful. I love so this. Thank you. I love this so much.